Jam in the AM. It is a Thursday morning broadcast. And, uh, oh, my gosh, many, many, many weeks ago, we had planned on uh, bringing my friend and mentor into our studio, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak. He had just finished, uh, he had just completed the biography of Marty Glickman. And as I said earlier on the air, if you're a sports fan in New York between the ages of, I don't know, 40 and 80, then the name Marty Glickman really means something to you. If you want a great Hanukkah gift for anybody, uh, including young people out there that love reading about great Jewish sports heroes, then this is a great book. And Hanukkah, I remind you, is a week from tonight. The book is called Marty Glickman, The Life of an American Jewish Sports Legend. And before we introduce Dr. Gurak again to this audience, I will remind you that the Jewish Sports Heritage Association and Temple Israel out in Lawrence, New York on Long Island invites you to attend an in-person and Zoom book and author event with Dr. Gurak. It's happening the night before Hanukkah. I have to assume that books will be for sale there. Uh, starting at 7.30 p.m. this coming Wednesday at Temple Israel in Lawrence, which is on Central Avenue out in, um, in the five towns. Uh, it's, uh, it's free of charge. Uh, they are asking everybody to register in advance. It's pretty easy to register. You want to contact Alan at the following email address. It's A.H. Friedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N. Again, A.H. Friedman, F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N, 142 at AOL.com. So it's A.H. Friedman, 142 at AOL.com. And again, the event is Wednesday night out on Long Island. And again, as I said earlier, if you're in that generation that I'm smack in the middle of between 40 and 80 uh, and you have any recollection of anything that happened in New York sports <laughs> during that period, the name Marty Glickman is very significant to you. And I really do want to recommend, especially if I know what it was like. Remember, I'm the guy who dreamed about inducting David Kufeld into the Yeshiva University Hall of Fame, and that dream was realized. So you can imagine when I was growing up how I was thirsty for Jewish sports heroes. If you know a kid... I don't know, starting at eight years old, all the way up until 30, uh, who has the same desire, loves to read great uh, books about Jewish sports heroes. Pick this one up. It's called Marty Glickman, The Life of an American Jewish Sports Legend. And with all that, I say welcome to my Teenex studio, Dr. Jeffrey Gurak. Good morning, sir. Well, thank you very much. Uh, good morning. And it's, it's always a pleasure to be with you. You've been kind enough to interview me with my other books. And uh, this is a very special book. But you know what? I have to contradict you a bit yeah. and tell you this really is not a sports book. There's a sports component to it, okay? It really is a book about American Jewish history, which is my field of study over the last, I've, had, I've been privileged to teach at Yeshiva for 48 years, so I've been around for a while. Uh, it really is more than just a sports book. It's a book about the quest of a second generation American Jew who grows up in Brooklyn, who wants to make it in the American world, and all the problems he has in a variety of ways. And you know what? Uh, more than all the stories of people, you know, I, I always tell the story that Monty Glickman was one of my heroes. I listened to him on the radio. And in fact, uh, one time during a game, uh, he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you want the Giants to win, Open the, open the windows of your apartment or tenement and yell out, go Giants, go, go Giants, go. 
So I ran to the window, opened up the window, and screamed, go, Giants, go. My father said to me, what What in the world are you doing? I said, Marty Glickman told me to do it. So uh, I did that sort of thing. Uh, Marty Glickman was a guy who I listened to in a transistor radio under, uh, in my bed. Yeah, I, I need to, by the way, make that clear to people who aren't familiar with his career. He, he was an athlete, but much more well-known for being an incredible broadcaster down the road. And yes, you're right. And by the way, I would argue this is been a Gurak problem for his entire life that often people uh, associate you with sports stories and sports legends and don't realize that you're really telling a story of American Jewish history through some of those figures, through some of those themes like the YU sports story, etc., etc. So this is something that you've been fighting your entire career. And the fight is not for myself, uh, but to use sports as a metaphor for understanding the American Jewish experience. You know, if I was interested in opera or interested in the theater, that's a metaphor. How do, right. how do operatic people or theatrical people yeah, try you do to, the Streisand book. And do, the Stry, right. do the Streisand book. So, <laughs> so there's, there are a lot of great stories sure. about Marty Glickman as, as an announcer, but more importantly, and I think for this audience, more importantly, the Jewish story of Marty Glickman, and there are two or three major pieces to right. the story that I want to talk about, if you don't mind. Yeah, we'll get to all of them. I, I, I have to say to you, it's not lost on you. See how enthusiastic I am about having you here, but it is not lost on me how different this conversation is going to be today than if it would have taken place when we originally planned it. Because originally we were planning this for the week after Shemini Atzeres. Right. And then, of course, things got, you know, everyone's attention was turned somewhere else, obviously, to our brothers and sisters in Israel. But it's so interesting. I, I read the book back then when you had sent me it sent it to me digitally, and then of course I picked it up in the interim and looked at it again. Literally looked at it again yesterday. Didn't read the entire thing, and I'm saying to myself, "Wow, this experience that so many people in the United States are going through now, being in schools with anti-Semitic mobs and rhetoric that's very uncomfortable, especially on the college campuses, but as we see even in high schools in New York, which he went to. He went to a New York high school. Teaneck, you're sitting in Teaneck. You know what happened yesterday? Uh, there was, a there was an anti-Israel rally in Teaneck. So, right. so that's one piece to it. And then at the same time, you wonder about the the um, international stage, and you're going to get into this in a moment. Obviously, it's at the very beginning of his sports career or of his, of his advanced sports career. Uh, where on the international stage, um, Jews are treated a certain way, and then years later, decades later, people who mistreated them try to make up for it. You know, you have in the book the the Olympic Committee and how they dealt with him years later. That that's a whole other topic about how people are dealt with, you know, on the spot and how, of course, people try to make up for it later on. But I'm saying to myself, my gosh, in the context of what's happening now in this country, it is so much easier than weeks ago for us to understand the type of life he went through. Well, let's understand something. The international National Olympic Committee has never been favorably disposed towards Israel right. and towards Jews. Uh, and you know, of course, the tragedy, the atrocity of 1972, sure. where 11 Israeli athletes are murdered by Palestinian terrorists. And the decision of the IOC, led by uh, Avery Brundage, right. permit me to say, Yamach Shemot, right. okay, says after one day ostensibly of mourning, the games must go on. But Avery Brundage has a long history of anti-Jewish, 
and anti-minority behavior that goes all the way back to Marty Glickman in 1936, and believe it or not, goes back to 1912, not about a Jew, but about a Native American, uh, Jim Thorpe. Sure. Jim Thorpe in 1912 wins gold medals in the Stockholm Games, and then he loses his gold medals because they accuse him, perhaps truthfully, of, being uh, a pro. of playing some semi-pro right. uh, baseball. So who's there? The young Avery Brundage. Avery Brundage. He 19- was leading the charge. He, he, well, he was part of the charge. He was an athlete, too, and he was part of that uh, attitude of Americans towards minority groups. So it has a resonance for today, certainly in terms of what we see around today. But before we get to the Olympics, right. what about the high school and college campuses that Marty had to go through? Okay, so the story of Marty Glickman as far as college campuses are concerned, is that he grows up in Flatbush um, in, I say, an ethnic cocoon. Who are his neighbors? Italians, Irish, Germans, no African-Americans. couple of Orthodox Jews. We uh, but, suspect. Well, they're Orthodox Jews, but Marty Glickman sees himself as a cultural Jew. Right. Uh, I, I've studied the degree to which Jews deviate from Kashrut, so Marty Glickman's family is part of that story. Every time I tell these stories, I'm thinking not about Marty Glickman and sports, but about American Jewish history. So his family um, has what we call a kosher-style home, right. which means that no pork products, no shellfish, etc., but if he wanted a real kosher meal, he went across the hall to his grandparents who had a strictly kosher home, metaphorical about how Jews start moving away from kosher. Anyway, he goes to James Madison High School. How many percentage of Jews in James Madison? I can't give you the exact Over 90? Uh, 80 to 90% okay. Jewish, okay. okay? By the way, very little, there's no Jewish content in the school. Some Brooklyn schools have Hebrew as a regent's language, not James Madison, but they're high achievers and they want to go to college. So I studied uh, where these kids go to college. And they go to, the men go to City College. The young women go to Brooklyn College. Because Columbia and the Ivy League schools are off limits to right. them. Except for one thing. Columbia has a back door. There's a sports metaphor. A back door. And that is a... a experimental college where they admit Jews and others. So there is a gr- another great football player. Marty Glickman's a great football player, a great runner. There's another great football player. His name is Sid Luckman. Sure. And he goes to Columbia through the, ba- through the back door. And just as a sports piece, when they're in, with their seniors, the big game is a game between uh, Erasmus Hall, that's, that's Luckman, and James Madison. They play at Ebbets Field. In front of 20,000 fans, that's how big football was. College, uh, excuse me, high school football. Right. And Glickman's a running back or quarterback? He's a running back. In a, uh, running back. So the dream was that he would go to Columbia and you'd have uh, Luckman quarterback. He's the running back. Uh, they play both both ways. Right. He's also a safety. Right. Anyway, he goes to Syracuse. Why does he go to Syracuse University of all places? Syracuse University has, has quotas against Jews. And Jewish students on campus have a very difficult time uh, socially in terms of fraternities, in terms of uh, fraternities and sororities. So why does Glickman go? Because a group of Jewish fraternity brothers from the the Sammies, they're called SAM fraternity, still around today, figure if we bring this great Jewish athlete to Syracuse 
and he wins football games for Syracuse. Look what it'll do for the whole Jewish world. It right? will help the entire right. Jewish community. Sure. Well, the truth of the matter is, uh, Glickman becomes, I'll exhaust my knowledge of Latin, he becomes persona non grata <laughs> honoris causa. In other words, he gets in, he does very well, He's applauded because he's bringing honor to the university. It doesn't change the patterns of quotas against schools. Now, there are some schools that are worse than Syracuse who don't even want Jewish athletes because they feel Jewish athletes are not the proper man for those institutions. Again, it's not about sports. It's about anti-Semitism. So until until he goes and he's a great runner and he qualifies for the Olympics, He's a decent football player, college-wise, but he's a great runner. He's gonna go, he goes to Berlin to compete in Adolf Hitler's games. 1936. 1936, August 1936. When he gets to Germany, he's, he's having a great time. He's among his own kind, other athletes. By the way, rule number one about understanding sports and Jews, okay? It's not whether you w- you you win the game, but whether you're allowed to play right. that tells you whether you are accepted. Who was his Jewish teammate? Didn't he have a Jewish teammate There's on that another team? Jewish runner named Sam Stoller. Right. So these guys are going to be... Both in, representing the USA. The USA. In the 1936 Olympics. Great Olympics. There, there are a couple of guys, Jewish guys who play uh, uh, baseball in an exhibition game and it's so boring for the German fans they that they care. they walk out. They walk out. But um, Hitler didn't care about baseball. Neither the Germans. But before he gets to the event, what he calls the meeting, there is a couple of vignettes. When he walks through the the, the Olympic Village, he sees these Nazis guards. He salutes them. They salute him. He talks some Yiddish to them. They speak German to him. Right. He's a very comfortable guy. Here's a Jew who doesn't understand what anti-Semitism is because because he's an athlete, he skated away from all the anti-Semitism. Marty knew some Yiddish? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Uh, not only did he use Yiddish, but to jump ahead. When he was an announcer for the football giants and for the, the Knicks, he occasionally, and it's in his memoirs, he wrote three memoirs, which I read, he would throw in Yiddish uh, phrases. The Meshuggah just <laughs> ran for five yards. So Jewish listeners said, hey, listen, there's one of our guys who's broadcasting to all New Yorkers, but he also is proud of his Jewishness. He's not an observant Jew. Right. He's a cultural Jew. And in some ways, he was quiet about it. it depends on the era that we're talking Very quiet about, right? about this. Okay, so he and Goldberg, Herman Goldberg, hitch a ride to go to the Olympic Stadium to watch some events. And who's driving? A lieutenant in the Wehrmacht. Okay, gives them a ride. at the end, And he's thrilled, this German guy, that these two athletes are with him. The end of the ride, he says, can I have your autographs? So they scribbled their names because they were afraid they could read Goldberg and Glickman. Everything's going great, except for one thing. A day before the race, and by the way, non-sports fans have to remember this, and I'm chagrined that so few people remember this, and so few people remember Avery Brundage, 1930s, in a day before the race, two days before his 18th birthday, in walk the, uh, the coaches, and they said, we heard a rumor, oh, he's supposed to run in the 4 by 100 meter relay race, the last race in the Olympics in front of 80,000 fans. And he's on, he, he qualifies. In walk the, the coaches, 
and they tell them, we heard a rumor that the Germans have been hiding some great runners, and therefore we have to have our best team. So Glickman and Stoller, you're out. Ralph Metcalf and Jesse Owens, you're in. You're off the team. So uh, Glickman says, you're never going to get away with this. Coaches say, we'll worry about that. Jesse Owens, to his credit, jumps up and says, hey, guys, I've got three gold. Three for, gold. For those who don't know, Jesse Owens was black, yeah. African-American, he wins three gold medals. Right. He says, I got three gold medals already. Let these boys run. The coaches say, boy, sit down. That's how African-Americans were referred to, and that's how athletes were treated back then. So they don't get a chance to run. Now, who's behind this? Avery Brundage, okay, who is a Nazi, an American Nazi. He, later on, he'll speak at a rally of the German-American Bund, Okay, so this is his encounter with anti-Semitism. All of a sudden, so he insists that the Jews are off the team, right? He tolerates the fact that black athletes are on the team, right? Obviously, well, it's not obviously. There's a reason they tolerate the blacks because Jesse was the greatest at it. Because there were so many African Americans, you couldn't you right. couldn't sideline all of them. Right. Right. So how did the Nazis project Jesse Owens? Well. All these black athletes are called American auxiliaries. They right. are slaves for their white masters to win gold medals for right. for America. And by the way, when Owens gets back to New York a few weeks later, and it's in the book, and a lot of people know this, there is a ticket take parade down Fifth Avenue right. honoring him. And then there's a celebratory dinner in uh, the Waldorf Astoria honoring Jesse Owens. Owens is there. But to get to the main ballroom, he has to go up the freight elevator. Says a lot about back door, back door, back door. It says a lot about anti-Semitism in 1936. But there's more. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Dr. Jeffrey Gorak's in our studio. The book is called Marty Glickman: The Life of an American Jewish Sports Legend. Don't forget this coming Wednesday night. Dr. Gorak has a big book event going on at uh, Temple Israel in Lawrence, 140 Central Avenue in the Five Towns, beginning at 7:30 p.m. Obviously, the book will be for sale information to register etc and i'm highly recommending it a h friedman friedman with two e's a h friedman 142 at aol.com a h friedman 142 at aol.com we should also mention the book is available everywhere at this point right well just show up <laughs> right just come <laughs> yeah i love but the book's available right like amazon absolutely, and, and absolutely. i assume some of the judaica stores must have it I would yes assume. amazon we're doing very well at amazon and uh, i'm i'm very i'm very big in the five towns so uh uh please they, show they up they know you out there what's owens excuse me what's glickman's reaction in other words now he's back in the united states as well Remember, you just told us he had just turned 18 during the Olympics. He's only an 18-year-old kid. Right. Is he despondent? Does he understand that the weight of the Jewish world is on his shoulders as he is kicked out of the Olympics? What is his... Yeah, it's, it's a good... How does he feel? You know what? It, it It's... He's very upset that not only do the general newspapers of the time uh, rally to his cause... They do. They they don't. They, they do don't. Not. They do not. But what's even worse is that the Jewish newspapers, the American Hebrew, the newspaper in Minneapolis, which had a sports section, they don't e- emphasize that. And in fact, one of the newspapers says we're very proud that uh, that Glickman took this sidelining, as I call it, as a man. 
and they don't and didn't make a big deal and about didn't it. make a big deal. And and the other piece of the story, which is controversial in the book, and I but I have to tell the truth the way I saw it. Right. For many years, Marty Glickman did not emphasize what happened to him for, as anti-Semitism, and I believe, in other words, he said, "Why why, why did uh, they sideline me?" Well, it was. Olympic politics, whatever that means. There was nepotism because the coaches wanted to have their runners uh, compete. He didn't take he, it as a Jewish he, thing. He doesn't emphasize the Jewishness until later on in his life. And that says a lot about where American Jews were at uh, in the 1930s. You know, he referred to what happened to him many times as a prequel to the Holocaust. Right. And uh, I was just going to ask he would you. Say, it wasn't, no one died. Right. But, it, but he under, he came to understand later on in his life that this was very, very important and emblematic. In, in a way, it's a quiet Kristallnacht. If, if people here today in the United States are using that phrase to describe the atmosphere here, and I know it's a stretch, obviously, thank God. But to him, that was a significant moment, even again, if it didn't include violence or, you know, God forbid, any type of, of killing, etc. Absolutely. I think one of the turning points personally for him and institutionally is in the early 1980s, he's invited back to Berlin right. because they're doing a- That was my reference to a, make, making up for things. A, a yeah. documentary on Jesse Owens. Right. And he goes to the Olympic Stadium. Same stadium. 80,000 empty seats. He looks up in the, the box where Hitler sat, where Goering sat, where Goebbels sat, all these bums, and he yells, I'm here, and you folks aren't here anymore. And then, the, to their credit, the U.S. Uh, Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., they grab him and say, you know, you're a great athlete, a great broadcaster. You can be a great teacher, too. And the last 15 years of his life, he dies in 2001, uh, he travels the country talking about what happened to him as a prequel to the Holocaust. In other words, if you want to understand where Jews are in the mind of the world, look at my experience. I was not killed. Right. Uh, I have to say one other thing, Nahum. Yeah. When he gets, because I can tell you a million stories. I know, we got to get to the other parts of his yeah, life. <laughs> I, you know, my kids say, uh, Papa, you got five stories and you keep repeating them. But, th but this is an important, an important one. One of the, when he comes back to Syracuse and he's, he obviously graduates from Syracuse. Right. Uh, he's on the track team, and he goes to a meet in New Orleans. And one of the newspapers, not a Jewish newspaper, says, we wish him well as our white hope in New Orleans. My God. Could you imagine? He's a white hope. Right. It says a lot about the distinction between African Americans and Jews. And you know, as my student, one of, one of my interests is African American sure. Jewish relations over the course of time. So that's one of his searing experiences as far as anti Semitism is concerned. I got to ask you is, is it reminiscent of the attitude we've seen from so many Holocaust survivors? They don't speak about things for 25 years and then eventually come out with information. Did that remind you of that, or is it much different? No, I, I think it reminds me to some extent of the greatest generation, people right. who don't talk about World War right. II. But you who, get to the 80s and 90s, and, and all has, of a sudden they open up. Right, he becomes more and more aware of this. And he also feels, and I, I interviewed a whole bunch of sports writers who knew him, that no one was interested in listening to him. At that time. At that, at that time. And as you pointed out... <sighs> 
He's only a kid right. in, in 1918. One other story. And he's not the great legendary sportscaster yet. Who has not a, yet. Who has a forum yet. to say something. Right. So uh, one other early yeah. anti-Semitism Quickly, story. Right. I know. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on for hours here. Um, he goes back to New York, and he's invited by one of his Gentile friends to work out at the New York Athletic Club. And New York Athletic Club was off-limits to Jews, African-Americans, women, and the like. He gets to the door, and the director says, Marty, you can't come in here. He says, hey, I'm an Olympic athlete. You're a Jew. You can't be, you can't. What year do you think this was? 1936, right after Berlin. He's just. So even in New York, you're in, not comfortable. Well, the New York Jew. Athletic right. Club, here's my metaphor. Right. It's a wasp preserve. So I'd like to tell you, I'd tell everybody a family story. My late father was a wrestler, an amateur wrestler. Uh, and he wrestled for the 92nd Street YMHA, which was the Jewish sure. settlement house. Okay, Actually, he wrestled under an assumed name because he didn't want his mother to know that he's becoming a wrestler. Do you know what the name was? Jack Austin. Yeah. I, I never asked my a father. Real, a nice, a nice gentleman. Well, name. well, well, there's a there's a guy out there named Stone Cold right. Steam Austin. He's not a relative of ours. <laughs> anyway, so we had in our home what we call the purloined towel. Because one time the New York Athletic Club wrestled against the Jewish Y at the New York AC. And my father took a souvenir. He stole a towel, the purloined towel. Now, sadly, when my parents passed away and we undid the apartment, we couldn't find that towel. But it reminded me of my father's own experience in terms of anti-Semitism. But up until now, he's an athlete and a Jew. But then he becomes a sportscaster. Now, um, did sportscasting have a no Jews allowed rule? Uh, was there an advantage that he was a serious, a Syracuse graduate? Because today we know all the great sports announcers in this country most come from Syracuse University. Was that a thing back then? Well, the, the fact that so many of these Syracuse announcers today who were, disciple, right. were disciples of Marty Glickman, um, one of the things was that in order to be an announcer, an important announcer, you had to change your name. Right. That was very important. For example, Larry King. Larry King was not an announcer, but yeah. I always tell my audiences, did you oh, ever- Marv Albert. Mar- well, Marv Albert's a different story. Afruchtig. That's right. He yeah. had a strange name, which yeah. was hard. Uh, ask your audience, did you ever hear of Esau Danilovich? Who's that? That's Kirk Douglas. Wow. Cha- name change. Okay. So when Marty Glickman wants to be in the broadcasting business- he was told that Marty Glickman doesn't work on that scene. You have to change your name to Marty Mann or Marty Manning. And he refused to do it. In fact, he critiqued one of his enemies, Howard Cosell, that Cosell, no, but in fact, Cosell did not change his name. The, wow. the, the name was changed by his parents, but the word was that Cosell changed his name in order to get right. you know, into the, the business. To get into business, and to do it properly, I I point out that when Marty Glickman wouldn't change his name, there's a young woman in the Bronx who's also pressured to change her name in order to make it in a different world. Her name is Bess Meyerson, who in 1947 becomes the one and only Jewish Miss America. And she says, I can't change my name. Everybody knows who I am. So that was very, very important. So he wants to be uh, an announcer, and he won't change his name. So locally, 
He's very important. And again, all of us as kids uh, love listening to him. In fact, there's a story, it's footnoted. There was one of the uh, broadcast, one of the journalists who's passed away, his name was Vic Ziegel. Yeah, I remember Vic Ziegel. Vic right. Ziegel. Daily News, right? Daily News. He went to the Salanta Yeshiva. Vic? And, yeah, yeah. He, he came from an Orthodox background. Wow. And, but when he was, uh, when he, he, one of his memoirs, he says, I had a real problem listening to Marty Glickman because he was broadcasting St. John's basketball games. So how could I, as an Orthodox Jew, root for St. John's? But like Gorak opening the window and saying, Marty told me this. Anyway, that, that was Vic Siegel. But all many of these, uh, one of the many of these uh, announcers and journalists uh, spoke to me. They love sp- speaking to me, and I interviewed all of them about this. The saddest did, part. Did he ever have trouble? Did he did he yes, seamlessly he, get into the industry or not? Well, there was one major piece that he never achieved. And that is his goal. One of his goals was to be a nationally recognized broadcaster right. to do the iconic game of the week. Right. So in 1946, when the NBA was established, it was the BAA initially. He's doing these games. The heads of the NBA, their names are Maurice Podoloff and Haskell Cohen. Two Jews say to him, we don't want you to do these games because we think that people in Peoria don't want to hear your voice. And you've got two problems. One, you have a Jewish name. And more importantly, you sound like Jeff Gurrock. You have a Bronx intonation, a right. Bronx dialect. You're a New Yorker. A New Yorker, okay? <laughs> and But for me, that's so powerful because sure. he's turned away here not only by Gentiles, but by Jews who right. are afraid about Mayum Ruha Goyim. Right. What will the Gentiles say? So I, I think the Gentile audiences would have loved him. Of course. And his first job is St. John's? Is that his no, first? No, that's one of his jobs. What's his first announcing job? His first announcing job is doing college basketball for Madison Square, Madison Square Garden. He is the voice of, uh, in 1950, a City College, my alma mater, wins the double championship. Right. They NIT, win the, NCAA. And the NCAA. And he's the announcer. He's the announcer. And then in 51, you have that terrible scandal sure. where the first points uh, shaving scandal, right. and he's the announcer. And he says in one of his memoirs, I knew these guys. They came from the neighborhood. We drank malted milks together. I felt like... Our world collapsed because in 1950, they had beaten, this is wonderful, City College basketball team. The starting team had three Jews and two African-Americans. Along the way to the championship, they beat the University of Kentucky. Coached by Adolf Rupp. Adolf Rupp. Adolf Rupp comes to a city of Jews and blacks, and we beat the heck out of him. And Glickman is so proud. We're all so proud. City College cancels classes. We're so proud. And then 51, you have this debacle, and it hurts him very deeply. What percentage of the point-shaving scandal were Jews? What percentage of the people involved were Jewish? Well, uh, significant or 20%? Significant. We don't have numbers. Maybe more than 50%? Yes. Okay. So there's another, there's another wonderful book by a friend named Matthew Goodman called this, the, the city game about this whole scandal. So the point shaving was done by everyone. 
everyone, and they learn how to cheat in the Bosch Belt Basketball Leagues. They all played up there. Which Marty was the announcer for also. No, right? he, n- not, he wasn't. Oh, he's the announcer, yes. Yeah. All these guys played. Right. That, okay. Well, Chamberlain was up there. Will Ch- there's a picture of Will Ch- Chamberlain with eight suitcases, right? right? The bellhop. Okay. So the while, ringer. <laughs> while they're up there, they're induced by by organized crime figures who right. say, listen, everybody's making money. Why don't you make a couple of bucks? Right. So we believe as Jews and others that a that Frank Hogan, who was the uh, district attorney for Manhattan and a good Catholic, was told by a very powerful uh, Cardinal Spellman, don't go after Fordham, don't go after St. John's, don't go after Bob Cousy. Go, go after NYU, LIU, CCNY. What do LIU, CCNY, and NYU have in common? Jews. They're not Catholics. Right. Not, not, oh, Catholic, they're not Catholics. Not Catholics. Right. Another personal thing. You know this. One of my mentors in my life was Marvin Hershkowitz. Sure. Marvin, oh. Her- Marvin Hershkowitz was Did the- I love him? F- we all loved him. <laughs> in fact, I just had lunch with his, his son, Stewie, wow. a couple of weeks ago. Marvin Hershkowitz was on the freshman team that a year later would win the championships and a year later involved in the scandal. He becomes religious. He realizes, and he's a great player. He realizes... Arguably one of the greatest Jewish players ever. Well, Coach Saracek said of all the great players, all the plays he had at Yeshiva, Marvin was the best. And we could discuss that forever in a different... And get Irv Bader in here. We'll discuss it for another week. I think think Irving would say Marvin as well. Okay, be that as it may. Uh, But the point is that this was Marvin comes to Yeshiva. And he once said to me, you know, had I stayed at City College... He would have been there for it. I might have I might have been involved with it right. too. It was such a terp and, and and anybody who knows Marv knows that he's the most straight laced person and such a bench. And the yeah, last thing you would have wanted was to be involved. Yeah, but like these that. guys, uh, Ed Warner, who's another great a great black player, they found a hundred bucks in his in a shoe in, in a shoe box in his mother's tenement in Harlem. But this oh, and Marvin said to me, if this had to d- happen today, oh, gosh. Uh, the ball players would have said. Three words, call my lawyer. (laughs) These kids were frightened, and it was a terrible thing, and it it hurt Marty Glickman because, look. He took it personally. He was our announcer. He was the Jew out there. He said, said, and it's in the book, he said that, uh, for me, I'm as New York as possible. And again, he's using Yiddish phrases. We're very proud of him. And, uh, you know, it's again, it's a story about a a second-generation Jew who's trying to make it uh, in America. And with that background of Berlin, it makes it just, I mean, right. the guy's the entire package. He, he, he gives you everything you need to know about modern Jewish history. Uh, well, a lot At about, least in this country. A lot about modern right. So the book's been out since, you know, October 3rd. Right. And it, it was the first couple of days. It was just moving great. Then something got in the way. <laughs> right. It's called this war that we're, right. we're so worried about on an ongoing basis. And uh, for myself, uh, we went to the march in Washington, D.C. I've got a close colleague who teaches American Jewish history at Bar-Ilan University. He's got four kids in the Army. I call him almost every day. Thank God they're doing okay. But, you know, we worry. Of course. You know. But I, I, if we have one more moment, sure. uh, uh, one other story. So the book comes out. And before the book, I sent a copies to you and a few other important people. I sent a copy to a young conservative rabbi in Los Angeles. His name is Erez Sherman. Hmm. 
okay? Uh, actually, he just took over a very prestigious pulpit that was occupied by David Wolpe. Sure. Okay. So he was invited to speak to the USC, University of Southern California track team right. that was about to go to Auschwitz on a consciousness raising tour. This is August 2023. Oh, wow. A month, bef- a month before the book came out. Yeah. So he takes the, the galleys with him and he makes a speech about it. And he tells them the following piece. In 1936, one of the track coaches, his name was Dean Cromwell, <clears throat> an associate of Avery Brundage. So he was the coach of USC. Mm-hmm. And it was known in the LA Jewish community that if you're an athlete, don't go to USC because of Dean Cromwell. So now 2023, you athletes, most of them African-American, none of them Jewish, are going to Auschwitz. And for me, you know, people say, how, how important is this book to me? Well, this is one of the more important things about the book. And I say that as bad as the situation is today, you know, it, it, it's, it's very nice to hear this sort of thing, that Dean Cromwell is dead. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't know the name of the coach, but he took his team to Auschwitz and he had a rabbi. And I was told recently at a conference by a professor who's now at USC that recently they took Dean Cromwell's name off the track. So I think this is has resonance for the book. And I love telling that story. And I'm, I'm proud of what I do, but I'm very proud of that story as well. Uh, well, as, as you've heard me say, I think it's amazing. And 25 books later. <laughs> right, right. 25 books, Dr. Gorak. Pretty right. amazing. Well, again, uh, here, I, here we been, are talking about Marty Glickman. I've been at it, for, I said, for 48 years at Yeshiva, and I've had so many wonderful students. In fact, every semester I teach uh, children of students of mine. And two years ago, a kid shows up and says, Professor, you taught my grandmother, which is you know, it's wonderful. It's also very frightening. Right. But, uh, thank God I'm doing this. And uh, well, I'm sure you told the kid it's a fraudulent claim. It's impossible. N- no, no, <laughs> I, 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 I actually, I actually remembered her. I was 26 years old. She must have been 24 years old. And, uh, uh, and thank were, God. And you were the professor. And I'm, I was already a professor, yes. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Gorak, the book is called Marty Glickman. Get it for all the reasons that I mentioned, especially, and you know what I mean by this. I grew up thirsting for Jewish sports hero information. I mean, if I told you what I was like as a kid, every time I came across the uh, the sticker books of Jewish sports heroes, sure. the Dave Kufeld stuff, which I'm sure you appreciate that I... Well, I coached Dave Kufeld with but, Johnny Halpert, yes. But for a kid like me, even till today, Kufeld is, is one of our greatest supporters here, and he's the person who trained me on how to do this. 40 years later, right. I feel like I'm standing with my basketball legend who worked together. I love it, and you know what that's right. all about. Oh, by the way, uh, Glickman had one connection to Yeshiva, and that is, and to Marvin Hershkowitz, and that is when Marvin played for, for YU, uh, the, one of the newspapers decided to have a polling fans right. for an all-city team. And Stewie Hershkowitz told me that uh, Yeshiva students, bless their hearts, s- stuffed the ballot boxes so <laughs> Marvin Marv. would win. But when he won that award, who presented the award? Marty? Marty Glickman. So that's, that's There's the... There's no, no photo of that, is yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, is no. There? You know, I never met Marty Glickman, unfortunately. Right. Right. The book ends with the story that a few weeks before he passed away in 2001, 
um, I was asked by the American Jewish Historical Society, I was the chair of the Academic Council, and uh, also known back then as the sports guy, to moderate a discussion with Marty Glickman, uh, and he didn't show up. He was too sick, and he right. passed away. So this is not a celebratory book. It's a serious book. Right. But in a way, I feel that um, uh, doing this book, I got a chance retrospectively to, to say to Marty uh, what I thought of him, how important he was as an announcer, as an athlete, and most importantly, as an American Jew. You can meet Dr. Jeffrey Gorak this coming Wednesday night, and you can thank him personally for being Nahum Siegel's mentor <laughs> at the book and author event that's happening Wednesday evening at Temple Israel at 140 Central Avenue in the Five Towns. It'll begin at 7.30, and as we get closer, I will keep this information and let everyone know how to register for the event. I cannot recommend the book highly enough. If you know, uh, seriously, a kid or even an adult in the community who who wants to read about a real Jewish sports legend. As you said, it's a, uh, it's, it's a book much more than, than about sports, but you, you, you get the reason why I'm saying and that. And it is Erev, it is day before Hanukkah. Right. Erev Hanukkah. Well, the significance, the, right, right before Hanukkah, right. It, the significance of Hanukkah is, in many respects, it's the first encounter Jews have with the world of sports. Right. Right? Although, ironically, the Maccabees, are anti-sports, right. right? The Hashemonim are anti-sports. So the question I ask all my audience is, why in the world does Yeshiva University call <laughs> our team the, the Maccabees? Maccabees? We should be the non-Maccabees. Right. And the answer is... That it's not about sports. No, no. In 1898, at the Second Zionist Congress, Dr. Max Nordau said that in we should be muscular Jews... Okay, and he he coined the phrase "We should be Maccabees." Okay, who compete against the world on the athletic field right. at a time where, in many sports clubs around the world, Jews couldn't be members. Right. And someday, with our own army, thank God we have an army now that protects us, right. not only in Israel but Certainly by analogy to us all over the world. So we got to call us, we have to call ourselves the Maccabees. So it's an appropriate name. But historically, the story of Hanukkah is uh, maintain, maintaining or abandoning your Jewish identity to make it in the world, the ancient world, not the modern world. So one of my 25 books was a book I wrote about 15 years ago, and I think you interviewed me, called Judaism's Encounter with American Sports. Sure. And it opens with the story of uh, of the Maccabees. Right. So we're very, we're very proud of the Maccabees. And uh, I, I said recently, you know, we've been blessed the last couple of years to have a pretty good basketball team. They tell me we've had a good, pretty good, some yes, good players. Have. Right? <laughs> yes, we So have. people say to Ryan me... Ryan Terrell's the Marty Glickman of today. <laughs> no, he's not. No, well, you no, know what I mean no, Marty, no, he's... Here's, here's the significance for me of our success in, with the basketball team, okay? It, listen, take nothing away from Ryan Terrell. All these other guys uh, gave Lifer. A, 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 you, can, you can rattle off the names. For me, ultimately, the most significant story is the fact that when we made the big, the small big dance, Division Three, right. I think three times we've made it, right. the opening game took place when? Erev Shabbos. N 12 noon. Right. On Friday. Not 8 o'clock at night. Correct. Okay. Because they moved it, because they moved the, the, the set schedule so that the, to accommodate Yeshiva's Maccabees. That's a heck of a story. That's and it's sure. not a Jewish story. Right. 
because there's another team in America that has a Y on its helmet. It's called Brigham, Brigham Young. Young. They also won't play on their Shabbos. Right. So, again, I've made this joke that the NCAA has more rules than the Shulchan Aruch, okay? <laughs> but, they, they, but listen, it, it, it's a moment of pride for us. Right. In terms of acceptance, remember I said an hour ago when we started this discussion that the importance is not whether you win the game, but whether you're allowed to play, right. okay? And that's very important. And now not only can we play, we can play at the time that we're allowed to play. You're allowed to play. Right. There's, there's this type of accommodation. I'm here 40 years. If, if you are, in fact, my mentor, then you get some of the credit for that. So I will say thank you to you on behalf of my entire audience. Well, listen, I, I've said this publicly and many times privately. I, I, I'm very proud of what you've done for Thank the Jewish community and continue to do for the Jewish community. You are our sports rabbi in, <laughs> in, in, in many respects. And, and JM and the AM and now Nakam Siegel Network doing important things, particularly during this time where every voice that we can hear that's supportive of our people, both here and in Eretz Israel, is so important. So uh, on my list of famous students you're you're you know an all-american top, for, top 25 <laughs> top, uh, more than top 25 anyway thank you dr garak and Mazaltov on the book thank you so much i hope everyone's hanukkah will be enhanced by purchasing this everyone get it it's called marty glickman the life of an american jewish sports legend we have enjoyed and i say that with tremendous enthusiasm all this time this morning with the great dr jeffrey gorak at jm in the a.m